Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hey friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. I first wanted to start by giving you all a big hug for sharing this podcast. I know that many of you are doing it by word of mouth, by sending texts or emails, but I've also seen them on social media with the screenshots you've been sharing and your thoughts on episodes. I saw a few of you posting about last week's episode on happiness, and I'm glad that you liked it, or at least I hope you did. For the ones who did it publicly, it appears you did. So I would love to hear more though. If you have any feedback on different episodes, you can tell me about it on social media. Make sure you tag me at About Progress so I can see them. And you can also direct message me on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress or email me at packerprogress at gmail.com. I have more of those similarly minded episodes in the works for you and I'm excited to begin sharing them more and more. 
A few weeks ago, I shared with you that I am going to be doing a better job of regularly updating my Facebook page at About Progress. It is something that I want you to contribute to, and I mean that in a very real way. I don't want it to be something where I'm always just telling you the latest podcast episode. I want it to be a place where we deliberate together, where we share our successes and our quote unquote failures, where we where we talk about things that are hard for us that we're trying to overcome and the goals we have. And I will also be sharing things that inspire me or push me, my own goals, things I'm struggling with. Again, it's just going to be a real community. So you can find me there at About Progress and get ready to dive in deep. Let me introduce today's guest. It's Rachel Nielsen. She is my internet buddy. We definitely need to meet in real life. Uh, We have bonded over so many things that I won't bore you with, but Rachel is one of the most supportive women you will ever meet. She has given me so much encouragement for this podcast, and I love her podcast, which she recently started. It's 3 and 30. I was in one of her episodes, and I'll share that in the links for you. Rachel is incredible. She has been through a lot in her life, and like me, she's now learned that in sharing the struggles she has faced and the ones she is currently facing, she is better empowered to meet them and move forward with her life. Her podcast is devoted to helping other moms in whatever they face. She has a 30-minute podcast each week that shares three real takeaways. And she's going to talk more about that. Today in this episode, Rachel is sharing how we can overcome the traumas we may have faced as a child. Um, Even as older children or people or relationships or trials that we experienced at younger age that are now coming up as full-fledged adults and what we can do to deal with them and move forward in our lives and not be held back by our past. It's such a good episode, and Rachel will be able to tell you why she knows you can do this. She knows it from personal experience. Let's turn to our interview together. I'm here with Rachel Nielsen. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Monica. Thanks so much for having me come on. Well, this is a blast. Two podcasters always make for a good show, I think, together. So how about you start by introducing yourself as well as your new podcast? Okay, so... I'm Rachel Nielsen, and um, I am a mom of two miracle babies. I always call them. My son, Noah, is adopted, and my daughter, Sally, was conceived with IVF, so they are our little miracles, Mm -hmm. and I am just like a sharer at heart. I just like love to share and connect Mm -hmm. with people, and that's manifested in different ways throughout my life. I was a high school English teacher for five years before my kids were born and loved that and then decided to stay home with them and really felt a void, honestly. Um, Loved them, but just felt like a lack of connection to other people. I missed that sharing piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started writing for Power of Moms, which is a website. And that kind of morphed into the idea to start a podcast. And so just a few months ago, I started a podcast called 3 in 30 Takeaways for Moms. And that's my latest venture where I just feel like I get to share my heart and teach and um, get to know people and have different guests on who I learn from. And it's just been great. Well, and you're doing a fabulous job, not to mention I am jealous of your really good radio voice. I mean, you've got it going on there. 
<laughs> oh, thank you. You're so nice. Yeah. So I highly <laughs> recommend people check you out. And before we kind of dive in, where can they find you? How is it the best way for them to discover, you know, get to your podcast and stream it, you think? You can just um, search in the podcast app for 3 in 30, all separate words, the number 3 I N three zero takeaways for moms and it should come up. Or if you have an Android phone, I know a lot of people use the stitcher app and you can find it there, but really any podcast app and the name three and 30 comes from, um, in it, my episodes are 30 minutes long and I love to give three actionable takeaways of things that you can do like that week with your family mm-hmm with all different motherhood topics. Basically, when I wrote for Power of Moms, I wrote a lot of articles that were like this, like, um, you know, strategies for fitting in journaling into your busy life as a mom or um, how to stop yelling at your kids, different things. And I started to realize that we were moving towards people not reading Mm -hmm. articles as much anymore and so I'm like okay well maybe I need to do a podcast version of similar format to these articles that I was writing um, with these really kind of solid actionable tools but in a podcast format and it's been really fun yeah and I'm I think this is one of those things that you meet someone on online and by someone I don't mean in a creepy way um <laughs> you, uh we we became friends over the internet yeah. thanks to yeah. writing for one and and then we've kind of stay connected and and uh this podcasting has been a whole other thing that I feel like we've been able to help each other out there and yeah I highly recommend people check you out I've really enjoyed your podcast and I was I, I I was a guest there as well so I'll make sure that I link to that but we have been meaning to have you on my show for quite some time um, well before you even officially launched your podcast we wanted you here to talk about what it's like to deal with trauma as a child which you dealt with and um, how to as an adult not move on because I don't think that's ever part of the equation here when you have a tragedy and some trauma in your life at a a young age, but how to move forward. And, and, and so how about you actually start by telling us a little bit about what that was for you? What's, what was in your childhood that, that was so difficult to face? So, um, when I was six years old, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was only 35, which is really young. Mm-hmm. And um, my sister was eight. I was six. And my little sister was three. And so my mom had these three little girls. She was a young mother. And she got this diagnosis. And actually, my first memory of my entire life is my mom telling us that she had cancer. And I'm wow. sure that I probably have um, I probably have other memories, but that that just stands out to me as my first memory because Mm. it was so huge. You know, like I just remember them, my mom and dad sitting on the bed and my mom being in tears, which I wasn't really used to seeing Mm -hmm. and them telling us this news that she um, was very sick and that she was going to have to be in the hospital. And she actually had a bone marrow transplant shortly after that and was in the hospital for three months. Wow. So, Yeah. So as these young, young girls, we were confronted with 
um, you know, not having our mom there and really worrying for her yep. health and well-being. And she was amazing um, at, you know, really wanting us to feel safe and making sure that like she recorded all of our favorite storybooks for us on cassette tapes oh, so that we could listen to those at night. And it's not like now where I could just whip out my phone and make an audio memo. Like it's so much mm -hmm. easier now. Back then she had to use like the old dictaphone with cassette tapes and mm -hmm. really put in effort to do that for us. But I just think that shows that she was actively thinking about what can I do for my girls to help mm -hmm. them through this. So she was very sick and chemo. And I remember, um, you know, her throwing up and just, and it's so hard to watch as a young girl, your mom suffering like that, but it didn't just end there. So she went on to battle breast cancer for 13 years and she went in and out of remission over and over during that time. And then she passed away when I was 19. Mm. So just a lot of my childhood was spent worrying about my mom and watching my mom be sick. And, um, so trauma, yes, but I also feel like in some ways I've never wanted to classify it as that because I had a really wonderful childhood. Like I had loving, wonderful parents, the best parents a kid could ever ask for, great grand grandparents that loved me and took care of me. We actually lived with them for a time when my mom was in the hospital and um, just really like... My, my childhood wasn't sad. My mom wasn't an invalid who was always in the bed. She was really active and involved as much as she could be and full of joy. And now as a mom myself, I'm just like, how did she do that? Yeah. You know, everything she was facing. So it was, mm -hmm. it was tough to see her so sick, but I do have so many beautiful memories too from my childhood. You know, Rachel, it seems like even though you're saying you know you didn't have the sad, depressing childhood, it still shows that you were dealing with trauma. The fact that your first memory is of them telling you about the cancer. It's almost like this clock was reset in your psyche, you know, deep. And, you know, I think so many of our childhoods are like that, if not all. Obviously, all of us are affected by our childhood, but there are these deep-seated things that maybe they're not, quote-unquote, um, what people would think as trauma, but they can be in, in how they right. weigh on us. So what do you think that was for you? What was what was this thing that affected you deep down? I mean, you, you did touch on that a little bit about just seeing her sick and worrying about her. Does it, does it extend um, deeper into that or other things as well? Yeah. And I think a lot of that didn't really surface for me until I was older. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you and I have talked about how I, I was an intense perfectionist and mm -hmm. um. I just always sort of attributed that to my personality, which I think is true, um, that I was born naturally to want to please, to want to obey and be good at things. And I'm naturally really sensitive and emotional, I think. So maybe I internalized things differently that were going on with my mom, like worried in different ways than even my sisters who were going through the same experience. Um, but... I grew up, 
you know, in my teen years, massive overachiever, top of my class, trying to do everything. And in college, I developed an eating disorder, um, really just striving, striving, striving for that perfection, and then kind of hit a wall, um, similar to your experience Mm -hmm. in college, where I I just couldn't do it anymore. And it was actually after I became a mother that um, things started to fall apart. Mm. Um, With the eating disorder, when my mom was dying is when it was really the worst. The Mm -hmm. summer, the summer that my mom was, we knew her diagnosis was terminal at that point. It was the summer after my freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was her caregiver during the day. And, um, every morning I would get up early and I would just run. And at first that sounds like a healthy way to cope, you know, but it turned into like five miles wasn't enough, six, seven, eight, nine miles, you know, just really excessive. And it was me trying to run this pain away, Mm -hmm. you know, and and starve this pain away. And like everything in my life felt out of control, but that number on the scale I could control. And, you know, I just getting thinner and thinner and thinner. Um, and then later when I went through infertility before getting my son, but for adopting my son, I really went to the other extreme where I started like binge eating Mm -hmm. and I would come home from, these fertility appointments and I like was just searching for comfort somewhere fulfillment somewhere and I was just like give me the brownies like a whole pan you know just Mm -hmm. like I have to try to fill this ache but it's interesting that it was always the same um, it was the same eating disorder even though it manifested in dramatically different ways Mm -hmm. it was always trying to trying to numb out this pain from my mom's passing or from mm. this infertility. And, um, then my son was born and we adopted him. And all of a sudden I was just like, I need serious help. I don't know if it was becoming a mother myself that like, I realized it just brought up so many of my fears and insecurities about losing my mother and, I wanted to be better for for him, for my son and for my family and at that's at that point I finally went to counseling. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I had tried to go to counseling earlier. Well, people had suggested it. My dad had put us in counseling when we were younger and it just never I didn't know what to say as a child. I just didn't get it, mm-hmm. you know. Um so it never really worked. But as an adult, all of a sudden I was ready. So, um, it was really in counseling, but, but when I started, when I went, started in counseling, I did not go into it thinking that this really had anything to do with my mother. Like I just thought I have these, I have an eating disorder. I have to get this sorted out and we're going to, we're going to address eating behaviors. And then I got into counseling And that's when the counselor really started digging and stuff started coming up. And I realized, oh, this is much deeper than, you know, just I think a lot of people think that their 
issues start. You hear people talk about perfectionism or even eating disorders and they say like it all started in high school or it all started in college. And, but really, I think so often it started long before that. Definitely. And um, I realized that once I started going to counseling. Wow. So was that so when you first started realizing that kind of peeling back these layers was that like taking off a scab? I mean, was it, was it super painful? I imagine, but, or was it one of those things where the more you uncovered, the more like aha moments and the more strength and growth that you had, what was that process like? Well, both for sure. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's like, I feel like, yeah, definitely peeling off a scab, but also just like, almost like clearing an infection. It's like, Hmm you like you have to get it out you know and it's not pleasant to like initially get in there um and you don't want like I didn't want to dig a lot of this stuff up but once it's once it started coming up I could heal you know Mm -hmm. and um so I had a count so I had several different counselors over the years and I really feel like I've learned different things from each of them and taken really valuable things from each of them But um, I had one counselor who was really um, like a straightforward kind of straight talking red personality, if you Uh know the the color code, kind of not what you would expect for a counselor. Like Uh you would expect someone who'd be all fuzzy and warm and she was not that way. And so in that initial intake appointment, she had me describe they, they always have you describe your story and your background and everything. And so I described all this about my mom being sick and everything and blah, blah, you know, the whole story. And then she said, oh, I know what your problem is. You have a savior complex. Huh. And I was like, excuse me? Like, yeah. it was just so. And she's like, you have a savior complex. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what does that mean? And like. She said, you wanted to save your mother. Like you thought that if you were perfect enough, then, you know, maybe you could save her. And my initial response was like, no way, you know, and also how dare you? Like I was kind of just stung and hurt. And she said, you know, your mom was the victim and you were the one who you wanted to be the savior and, and save her. And I was like, my mom was not a victim, which by the way, she wasn't. Um, I'm like, she never played that card. She yes. never, okay, so you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I like was really defensive. I'm like, no, you don't. She's like, no, no, I'm not saying that your mom played the victim. I'm saying mm-hmm. that in, in these circumstances, this was the, these were the roles that life cast you in. Like yes. your mom had a terminal illness. Therefore she was cast in the role of the victim, like regardless of how she lived it, that, you know, that was her role. And you un- subconsciously, it's not like you really believed that you could save her by being perfect, but subconsciously you wanted to do everything in your power to make her as happy as possible, to cause as few waves as possible in your family because she was already in so much pain that you you didn't want to do anything to cause any more pain to either of your parents. And, you know, subconsciously you just were thinking like maybe, 
maybe I can make this better if I work hard enough, if I get rid of my flaws, if I make mom happy, like things can be better, you know, and this was all deeply subconscious. And initially I'm like, this woman does not know what she's talking about. I don't think I like her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just thought... And then I went home and thought about it and I'm like, I think I have a savior complex. <laughs> like yeah. I think it, I think it fits. And so it really was hard to look at myself and see that, but I could see that it was true that mm-hmm. I had spent my whole life trying to appear to have it all together and to rush in and be the one who could help in any situation with my mom or even with others and to never be the one who needed helping because I, you know, wanted to be the hero basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in the end I was very grateful for her being so straightforward, but it wasn't, it wasn't fun to hear at the time, but it started to help me heal and to see these patterns in myself and to recognize them in relationships that I had with other people and to see, okay, I need to change. I need to let go of some of this and um, it's going to free me and it's going to heal me from this perfectionism that I've spent my whole life grappling with and my eating issues and everything else. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a big root for you. And you know, I, I feel like I can hear a past guest that we've had on Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. I bet she would say something about how if we put ourselves in this savior complex um, position, it's um, just another way of indulging ourselves in some immature behavior that we don't even realize is a part of our yes. structure, right? So, Definitely. I mean, and she's good at that too, about pointing things out in a way that you're like, oh, I can't be, like, I'm almost making myself a victim by making myself the savior here. Yes. Um, both. And I, I also think that she's a straight shooter, you know, yes, <laughs> <I'm> like, <yes. laughs> I love listening to her. Cause I'm like, Oh, she just like says it like it is. And she's so wise. And yes, I completely agree that she would, that she, when she says that's immature behavior, it, mm-hmm. it's true. And you have to grow up at some point. Yeah. It's just about developing. It's about realizing how these things aren't helping us. They're not contributing. Although so often perfectionism is such a highly praised trait in our society. I feel like that's an extra easy one to fall back into both as a protective reason, you know, as a shield up against other people. Um, but also as a way to just justify the choices we're making and how we're living our lives. And, you know, I'm thinking though, even for people who might not have had, um, a mom, suffer with cancer like this, they could still have situations in their childhood that would uh, lead to them being in the same position as you, someone who's trying to live this perfect life, um, maybe Definitely. to fix problems. Can you think of some scenarios where it could apply to other people who might be listening? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think even just having if we're talking about parents specifically, like having parents who are difficult to please, um, Mm -hmm. could bring this out in you. Um, having an older sibling or a sibling of any age that's rebelling. And then you're like, okay, well I'm going to be the good child and I'm going to be the savior, the hero here and Mm -hmm. kind of compensate for that. I think that that could come into play. Um, I'm trying to think what else I think, yeah, I'm putting you know, you on the spot. 
you're doing a good no, that's job okay. coming up with these and, ones. And you too, if you have any ideas, throw them in. But I'm like, I'm thinking any loss really, like mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a parent, but any loss of someone uh, that is close or special, I think can really trigger a lot of these deeper subconscious things yeah, that we maybe. Then... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Rachel. Go ahead. No, no, that's, I was done. Just trigger those yeah. subconscious things. Yeah. You know, um, I'm thinking too about some friends that uh, from growing up, maybe they saw some fractures within their parents' marriage um, or within their parents. Maybe they witnessed uh, their weaknesses and their weaknesses affecting the whole family too. Um, I'm just thinking about some friends with who had some knowledge about their parents that they did not like, you know, and having to try to stand up to be that, yes. that savior of the family. Absolutely. Uh, hmm. So, it, you know, I love that you're willing to kind of brainstorm with me on that because I think it's important for people to think about who might be struggling with this impossible um, thing to uphold of being a perfectionist is let's get to the root. Let's figure out what this might be. And oftentimes it is in your childhood. So mm-hmm. in that in that terms, what um, what else did you discover with therapy as things that were contributing to this this impossible thing they were trying to achieve of being the savior or a perfectionist in your mind. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think that um, because I had such amazing parents, which I really did mm-hmm. and do, my father is still living. Yes. Um, I really admired and wanted to emulate them. And so that can contribute to the perfectionism as well. I think one of the num- one of the number one things that people say about my mom is and she never complained. You oh, know, like uh-huh. you know, she was sick for so long and she never complained. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like I sure hope she complained. Yeah. Like I sure <laughs> like I I sure hope that she had at least a few trusted people that she could complain and cry to because mm. she went through hell. You yeah. know, I'm like the thought of her not having anyone or any outlet to like that kills me. So mm-hmm. I'm, but I think that hearing that all growing up, I'm like, well, if mom never complained about any of her pain, then how can I possibly you know, have any right to feel anything other than happy and grateful all the time. And so 
that can really um, affect, I think, you emotionally when you're not willing to accept those more negative behavior, those more negative emotions that are just part of life. Um, and it is true that I never saw her cry about it. She never told us that she was struggling. She never really opened up that way. And I think that was her way of protecting us. But looking back on it now, I wish that she would have let us in a little bit more because now I would love to have some insight into how to deal with some of those more difficult emotions and that they're okay and that they're normal and have memories of her working through them herself and teaching us how to work through them, if that makes sense. Oh, that does. And it makes me also draw this connection to when you talked about coming home from your IVF treatments and trying to fill this void or how to deal with this really hard thing that you were going through and you didn't quite have the tools to do yes. that. And maybe it does go in line with you. You didn't experience that. You didn't see an example of that. Not because um, she was trying to protect you. I mean, clearly. Right. You know? Yes. So it seems like a fine line as a parent, right? To, to somehow show both, show the real, but also show this is what I'm choosing. To, this is how I'm choosing to respond to it. This is how you deal with it without it yes. becoming a burden on your child. Yes. Uh, but I always think about that when I'm, you know, upset or sad mm-hmm. or sick. I, I always try to be open with my child, particularly my six-year-old, about it. And not in a burdensome way, but just to tell him I'm really sad about this thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, you know. And so I'm trying to be more open with him. Um yes. So there's that piece of it. I also think that my dad, who I adore, um, he was, is a worker. Like he Mm. just, (laughs) um, man, like he just gets stuff done and is, (laughs) and never, never seems to really tire. And so that was my other role model Mm -hmm. was this man who was like Superman who took care of my mom, took care of the three of us, worked like he was a attorney and just worked, worked, worked um, so many hours per week. And I'm just like, how does he do it all? And even though he always said to me, like, you know, you something has to go and it can't be your mental health and you need to go to bed, you need to get more sleep, all those things, um, I he wasn't doing those things. Uh-huh. And so yeah. I'm like, I want to be like dad and be able to work that hard and never get tired. And so both of my amazing parents had these traits I wanted to emulate that maybe weren't totally natural to me. And so that kind of set me up for some struggles when I got older, if that yeah. makes sense. And, so. and both, you know, seemingly, something admirable, like never complaining for one with your mom. Another one is being a very hard worker for your dad. But in reality, and I'm sure we'd had Dr. Finlayson Fife again point this out, not really healthy behaviors. Right. You know, and you just don't know that when they're so praised. Yeah. It it did help me to realize like my, my parents were humans 
mm-hmm. and people too who were doing the best that they could to cope and Definitely. my dad was trying to support our family financially but also just like in every other way and maybe working was the only thing he knew how to do to like fix it you know Definitely. it's like we just got to work so we all were just doing our best and mm-hmm. like I feel like I was able to kind of see that in a new light and then sort of move on and forgive myself that like I I can't I can't work like that and be sane and and it's okay and I'm gonna like yeah I'm gonna forgive him for modeling that and I'm gonna forgive myself for not being able to do it and we're just gonna move forward and I don't know so it was very healing to recognize all of this in my life It's time for our mid-episode break. I wanted to share a review of not my podcast, but of my podcast consultations that I do. This is actually from our guest today, Rachel Nielsen. She was really nice to write me up a testimonial because I actually consulted Rachel as she developed and launched her podcast as well as all that came after. So I'll just let her speak for herself here and share her review. Rachel says... Monica was such a great resource for me as I started my podcast. She was available to answer all of my questions and not just questions about the initial setup of a podcast as you might expect. She helped me through some of the growing pains that are inevitable in those first few months of podcasting. What, how, and how often to post on social media, how to reach out to people to ask for interviews, how to respond to people who ask to be on your show, but you're not sure if it's the right fit, what to do if you have a guest who is nervous and talking too fast, how to handle controversial comments made by guests that you don't feel comfortable airing, and perhaps most importantly, how to keep perspective and focus on your family while also being a podcaster. So, so much goes into podcasting and has been such a help to have a friend and mentor in my corner walking me through it. Monica is an honest, smart, approachable, 100% good person. You couldn't find someone better to work with. Wow, Rachel, that was so kind. I have to say that I love consulting on podcasts. I've had several clients successfully launch their own podcasts and they're doing really well and it's really fulfilling their lives. I'm offering my services to you or someone that you might know who has been thinking about podcasting. I will save them, I'm not kidding, months of research and work. I really will. It's that much work to launch a podcast, as well as all the troubleshooting that comes up after two. So if you or someone you know are curious into my podcasting consultations, have them email me at packerprogress at gmail.com and I'll be able to share more details with them. Let's get back to my interview with Rachel. And, you know, I think there's something about somewhere along the line. I think a lot of people experience this as a teenager, but it sounds like you and I didn't figure this out until later on in adulthood, that our parents are not perfect. And and at first, that, right. that knowledge can be a little shattering. Um, or it can be something <laughs> you might find yourself being resentful of or angry towards or sad about. But I think in time, having that knowledge is a huge gift because it helps us see them for who they truly are with compassion and grace. And I think in terms of turn, it helps us see ourselves that way because I am sure my children are going to need therapy because of me, (laughs) you know? And at first I was like, I hope my, I don't ruin my kids. The truth is, the truth is, is we're all imperfect and all of our kids are probably going to need therapy at some point for some mistakes that we've made along the way. And that doesn't mean, um, 
I'm not t- trying to just like uh, brush it under the rug, like, oh, just go ahead and make those big parenting mistakes. But I think you're, you you can see what I'm trying to say is acknowledging yes. the, the humanness of everyone around us is a big gift, including of ourselves, most importantly. Well, and I also think that's kind of a joke when people say, like, my kids are going to need therapy because of me. But as if, you know, therapy is a really bad thing. But mm-hmm. I've learned that therapy is a really good thing and a really healing thing. And it's been a huge blessing to me. And I'm like, I encourage everybody to go to do a little therapy in their life, you know, so to work through some of this stuff. And also going, going back to my dad, if you don't mind me sharing one more quick story. So I just want to share this story to show the kind of dad that he is. So um, it was actually my dad who initially in my adulthood, um, encouraged me to go to counseling and it was just in the most loving, tender way. And like, it, it almost brings me to tears when I think about it. So we do like a new year, a new year's Eve, um, like reflection where we write our highs and lows from the past year and our goals and just all sorts of different things. And, um, we were all together and we had to write down things that were hard for us that past year. And I made my list and I did not intend on reading some of them out loud because they were so personal. But And we go around with the family and read them. And it's just my sisters and their husband and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when it came to me, I just went down my list and I accidentally read one on the list that oh. said um, self-loathing because of weight gain was one of the things that I had written on my list of hard things. And like, it was just quiet for a second. And then everybody kind of moved on. But the next day, the next day I was in on the couch reading by myself and my dad came in and sat down next to me on the couch. And he said, I just want to talk to you about what you said yesterday. He's like, I, Like it absolutely broke my heart to hear you say that you loathed yourself. Like you are an amazing person. I'm like, you bless so many lives by who you are. Nobody cares about your weight, you know? And he said, this is when my husband was in residency. So we didn't have any money. And he said, if, if you want to go get help for this, I am more than happy to help you to pay for it. Like I want you to get the help that you need. And that was the first time that somebody had actually addressed to me. It was kind of like this silent thing before that. But my dad had the courage to uh, approach me and address it and say, you know, you can work you can work some of this out and we all love you and we don't want you to be hurting this much. And then he really, he facilitated, he made that happen for me when I couldn't have, we couldn't have done that at that stage of our lives. And so I'm forever grateful to him for that. So I really do have the most wonderful parents that, yeah, I ended up in therapy because of them maybe, (laughs) but in the best way, you know, yeah, I, I literally ended up in therapy because of him because, me get there which he is made so it possible. great yep we, we <laughs> yes. all need that extra push from someone we love too i think to to see that it's okay to do that yeah. you know so while we've been talking i feel like a lot of what you've said applies to someone in my life i was actually raised by um a man who had a very significant trauma at a young age my, my dad witnessed his brother's death at seven years old and he became 
the oldest of his family. And so much of hearing how you described how you coped with that, I think, applies to him. And and in so many ways, I mean, just the most amazing man in the in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, try not to get choked up about that, but what we experience in our childhood. It, it matters. That's, I mean, one of the biggest takeaways of this conversation. It does matter for better, for worse. And, and my, my father had wonderful parents, wonderful parents, mm. a wonderful family. And, but that absolutely changed his entire life. And it changed right. all of us, his seven children, um, too, and our children. It really, it does. So for people who, regardless of the extent of what they would define as traumatic or um, influential in their childhoods, I would like to provide them with tools that you can give us. And this is something you do in your podcast. You have um, your guests talk about three, like you say, doable takeaways, or what's the phrase you use there? Yeah, I always say doable takeaways, like basically something actionable that people can do. That was the other word. So actionable things that people can do to heal from their childhood, um, regardless of like, they're like, oh, but it wasn't that serious. It doesn't matter. What can they do? Right. So how about you tell us about what um, what's are some of your takeaways that you would advise others to do? So these, um, I thought about this before we started and jotted some down, and these are tools that I learned in counseling. So professional counselors had me do these things, Uh but I think that they're things that anybody can do. Um, So the first one is to write letters, which Uh sounds interesting, but um, to write letters to the people in your life that you need to, to, to say or to let go of those things that are burdening you or that are on your heart and and to never send them, but mm. unless you unless you need to send the letters, but but to write and to to get those feelings out, um, and then it, it helps immensely. So, for example, my one of my counselors had me write a letter to my mom mm. expressing anger, huh. and very specific. This is yeah, a letter like, of anger. Well, I had said like I had alluded to. Um, a few times like, well, you know, I really wish that she would have left me more, you know, anything to help me in my adulthood uh, with being a parent, but she never journaled and she never, she didn't leave a thing. And I feel Mm. like I'm really like floundering, but she was dealing with a chronic terminal illness. And so I know she couldn't deal with that, like, which is true, but I would always sort of justify my away my my feeling of being really isolated in my motherhood experience without her here yeah and my counselor was like no we need to explore that like I need you I want you to write her a letter and express to her anger or disappointment or however you want to you know word it about the fact that she didn't leave anything behind like a journal or even a letter um, giving you advice about Hmm. adulthood and motherhood and so I have to say that it it felt almost blasphemous to uh-huh. write that letter, honestly, because she is like so celebrated in our family, deservedly so. I've never openly expressed any sort of negative emotion about about her mm-hmm. or about how she how she didn't mother me perfectly. 
Um, And so, but I wrote the letter and it was excruciating to write. I actually had to like take a nap after I wrote it. Like it was Mm. so emotionally draining. Um, But so healing at the same time. And it's something that I've never shown anybody like it's it's in my journal but um I'm very open I'm a sharer like I said and I usually share most things but that's one that was just for me and but I was able to get those thoughts and feelings out and express some of that so writing a letter to someone um who you've lost or who's let you down or who didn't meet your needs well can be really healing, I think. So that's the first tool or takeaway. That's a great one. And I like the idea of if you know that maybe no one else will see this, it actually takes away a lot of the pressure too to make it the perfect letter either. You know, right. whether that's grammatically or otherwise, um, just get it out. <laughs> that yes. seems so powerful and hard too. And, yeah. And to actually address them is different than like writing in a journal and person about like this experience was hard because it's much more personal to say direct it to them and say you did you did this or you reacted this way and I felt this um but it's it was really healing for me so try it out right write a letter okay what about Um, two what's number two the second one is to um go back to to think back to your childhood and think about those things that you loved as a child that really like nurtured you um, and to, and to do them again. So we kind of, we kind of lose those things Uh as we grow up, stop doing a lot of them because maybe they're not practical or I don't know why we just do. But um, one of my climbing trees, so that's kind of hard. I don't know if I even could. (laughs) Well, don't do that right now because you're very (laughs) pregnant. I can't right now. But go ahead. You but, have an example. But you should. Like when you're <laughs> yeah. when you are fit again, you should climb a tree. I'm totally serious because my I counselor will. told me to do. And she's like, I'm like, she's like, what were you like as a child? And I was like, oh, I was like this sensitive child. I loved animals. Like, and she was like, do you have an animal now? And I'm like, no. Like that's that would be inconvenient and I'd have to clean up after the animal and like practical Rachel kicks in, you know? Uh-huh. And she's like, well, maybe you need to like spend more time with animals. <laughs> it just sounds so like kind of hoo hoo, like warm and fuzzy, you know, you kind uh-huh. of have to like get over that with counseling. But, um, I, I still don't have an animal, but like eventually we will probably get a dog at some point, but just like, spending more time like petting my friends animals Mm -hmm. and like letting them sit on my lap and different things like that's just a small example but another thing I loved was swings um when I was a child and so it's like go when your kids are at the playground like hop on the swings and swing um just like anything that you loved like I love to write and I still write uh but just to kind of like tap back into that part of you that maybe you squashed down or you let go of that you can kind of bring back to kind of find that that whole part of you that before things started to hurt so much I don't I again that sounds really warm and fuzzy but no I think it's beautiful and it sounds it it sounds something that we can we can figure out quickly too without maybe needing to spend hundreds of you know well not thousands but hundreds or two thousands of dollars on therapy yes Yes, for sure. And what's number and three? Then the, 
the third one is probably the most warm and fuzzy of all. Um, But I had a (laughs) I had a counselor who actually the this is not, by the way, the straight shooter counselor, because she would probably laugh at this. But yeah, um, (laughs) but I love that I've had counselors with totally different personalities. And like, I've really gained something from all of them. Mm -hmm. But um, I had a counselor who encouraged me to like envision myself as a child. And um, she would actually like, make me close my eyes and like think about what I was like as a child and I would like try so hard not to laugh during the whole thing Uh but um so to kind of remember what it was like to be a child what it was like to feel that fear or worry or whatever it was that you felt um to kind of go there you know and Uh picture yourself as this innocent child that you were and with the glasses or the whatever, you know, yes, the gap. Teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just to keep that picture in your mind to give you. So it gives you some grace when you start to, you know, fall back into certain behaviors or certain fears start to come up for you. And you're tempted as an as a rational adult to be like, get it together. Why are you acting this way? It's like, just imagine that child and think like, okay, she's just hurting and needs to be comforted right now, you know? So, like, similarly, like, I just need to, like, give myself grace here. I've had a lot of stuff happen in my past that makes me who I am today, and I'm okay. I'm not, like, broken. I'm just gonna, you know, um, deal with this in the adult way that the tools that I have now and sort of keep that, child inside of me safe I feel ridiculous saying this stuff out loud but <laughs> it's true <laughs> it is true and it's really helped to me oh, so I can see how so that is so effective because think about yourself as a child and and giggle yeah, and, and think <laughs> get, like you said it gives you it makes you um act more kindly to yourself it gives yourself compassion yes. it also gives you um practical ways to help comfort and work your way through it just as you would help your own child or a loved child in your life yes work totally. through their own issues so i think that think actually about, is practical like, your own child being that scared and how you would comfort them you know, and it's Definitely. like, treat, treat yourself with similar grace. I don't know. You're a former English teacher, too. I don't know if you've yeah. ever read, read the short story 11 by Sandra Cisneros. I probably but did. She, I, I've forgotten everything about, the last 10 years. So it, she talks about how, like, we're like onions. Or we're like these little Russian dolls that, like, oh, yeah. each, year, each year stacks up on top of the other. And, like, inside of you, you still have, have like the two-year-old version of you and the five-year-old and the and sometimes I think about that like definitely we're just doing our best every day and sometimes our you know our immature self comes out and that's okay and you just gotta nurture her and move on sometimes my three-year-old comes out and throws a tantrum or my five-year-old I mean, my mom told me yesterday that I was kind of obnoxious as a child because I was so relentless and I'm like huh (laughs) <laughs> like I'm just imagining like, wow. my own child, but she was saying it in a very loving way, but it just makes me like think huh, that, you know, it's good that, that I can see that still comes out even now. Yes. That, so. And it gives you more grace for your, for your child. You're like, Oh, yes. I was obnoxious and relentless 
reference to. That's okay, the she'll reference probably be okay. that why, yeah, that's why it had to come up and was really helpful for me to see. Yes. Oh, okay, they're going to grow up and they'll exactly. grow out of it. So, Rachel, can you repeat those three things for us before we say goodbye? Yes. So, write a letter to the person that you need to from your childhood. Um, two, go back to what you used to love as a child, the activities and things that you used to love and start doing those again. And three, envision yourself as a child and give yourself the grace and comfort and protection that you would a child in your life. Wonderful. Rachel, we could have talked for hours because there's, I mean, there's so much more I would love to delve into you with you. So I'm sure we're going to have many of our own conversations, but this has been so valuable for me. And I know it's going to be so valuable for my listeners too. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk to me. Yes, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I absolutely loved having Rachel on as an expert for this topic, and I hope that it helps you because I think if we all look back, whether it was an experience we had, a relationship we had, or some real trauma that we experienced as a child, things affect us as adults that might surprise us or in ways that might surprise us. And I love Rachel's takeaways. I have linked to her website as well as her, as well as her Instagram and her podcast in the show notes, which you can find on my website about progress if you can't already see it in my app. And I so highly recommend her weekly podcast on motherhood. Next week, I've got another great parenting expert for you. It also happens to be one of my other internet friends, Lisa Anderson. You might know her as Thriving Motherhood on Instagram. This woman knows her stuff. She is a mother of four, but she is so well-educated in parenting, period. She is coming to talk about mindfulness in parenting, how we can change our thoughts and therefore change our experience in parenthood. It's a twist. It's going to help revolutionize how you parent your children, and how you feel about parenting your children, which I totally needed help with. She actually talks me through how to do it with the situation I have. I love having these expert interviews, and I hope you do too. We will also still be sharing our traditional interviews here and there, but not every single week. I hope that you are liking the transition we're having as a podcast towards more expert interviews, my thoughts on special podcast episodes that will be more regular, as well as our well-loved tried and true interviews with people who have been there, done that, and have a lot to share with us. I am so excited for where we're headed and thank you for joining me. Let's keep this up, friends. And if you've got a minute, make sure you subscribe and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. My goal is 500 this year and I have a long ways to go. So please help me there. I will see you next Wednesday for our next episode. And until then, take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.